four. I am making a point when it comes to the book of Romans. We're, um, we're, we're coming to the end of Romans. And when you get to the end of a book, I always like to say, it reminds you of what was taking place at the beginning of the book. And um, throughout Romans, I want you to remember that Paul is trying to do two things. He's really got two goals as he's preparing this, this church in Rome. Goal, goal number one is to, to help a group of people, namely the house churches throughout Rome, understand that every single day when you wake up, you wake up underneath a calling of Jesus Christ. And a term that we've heard used throughout the entire book is this term, para kaleo, para towards kaleo, your call. Um, what does it mean when I wake up in the morning and instead of jumping out of bed and what have I got to do today? You better get those clothes on. Don't wear that shirt to school. Hey, did you pack your lunch? What if it means today come together? Let's pray. We're under a call. What's our calling, Daddy? Our calling is to go out wherever God sends us into this world and to represent him. To be his feet in his hands. To love another person in his, in his name. Would that change things? Absolutely. And that's what Paul is doing, is throughout the book of Romans, he's reminding this group of people, we will live differently. We are called out of this world and then sent back into it with, with a gospel that changes the world. Never forget your calling. The second thing he's trying to do, when I look at the goal of this book, is to prepare the church for the work that, that will, will take place in two different mission fields. <clears throat> and so when you look at Rome as a whole, you see on one hand, you see this very secular nation. You know, I, I always think, boy, when you, when you look at Rome, are you not seeing a little snippet of what has become America today, right? Absolutely. Now, there's, there's differences, no doubt, but I think you're seeing a little snippet of, of that. And so Paul's saying, I need to prepare you to go out into the agora, the marketplace, the secular world, and to be able to represent Jesus Christ there in a way that will bring people into faith. Second mission field for, for Paul was, of course, the synagogue, the Jewish church itself. Uh, how do we reach a group of people who don't believe they need to be reached? I already believe. I already have faith. I don't need to be reached. In fact, I always like to say that probably the toughest mission field in the world uh, exists within the church itself. Uh, Jesus said there will be wheat and there will be tares within, within the church itself. Well, what that, that means is I'm part of a church. I don't just assume, hey, everybody's wheat. No, guess what? There's, there's tares. And what makes mission within the church hard is we don't need it. The Jews, we don't need Jesus. He, he, he's a fraud. We, 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 we killed him. And, and by the way, you represent him. We're going to try to kill you too. And Paul is sending this group of people out to bring the gospel into these two mission fields. I always stop and think, what are my mission fields? When I wake up underneath that calling today, let's, let's pray, kids. We're going to come together and pray. We're under this calling. What are our mission fields? You know, my first is my extended family, my home, my extended family. Uh, I, think it's, I think that probably is one of the toughest mission fields for us. I do. Do you have kids? Do you have kids who don't know the Lord? Do you have grandkids who don't know the Lord? Do you have a cousin? I do. Who doesn't know the Lord? Do you have a... Do you have an uncle who doesn't know the Lord? I mean, that's our toughest mission field. And Paul says, okay, 
you're going to go out of that. I want to prepare you to go out into that mission field. I think about our neighborhoods. Our neighborhoods. Um, you know, in America, we're permission to just don't, don't even know your neighbor. Get your fence up and stay distant from them. But you were placed in your home, in your neighborhood, on your street by God for a purpose, and that is to bring the gospel into your neighborhood. How do you do that? Well, it doesn't work, really. Out and, you know, get a big box and stand up on it, right? So let me say, I'm here to teach you people about Jesus. Um, that will not work. That surprisingly doesn't seem to make sense in our world today. Let me tell you what does make sense. When Rachel says, hey, for Christmas... I'm going to give you this little box. I want you to take it home. I want you to bake, make a lasagna or make some cookies and take it to your neighbor. But instead of just saying, hey, here's some cookies for you, I want you to stop and say, hey, here's some cookies for you. I hope you have a great Christmas time. By the way, in our church right now, we're praying for people. Is there anything I can pray for for you? That's it. That's it. They may say to you, ah, not really. We're, we're, we're good. Yeah, thank you. God bless you. Have a great Christmas. They may say, you know, Grandma, she's not doing so well. She's got, she's got this COVID stuff. We're scared to death. I want to pray right now. We're going to, I'm going to take that back to my church. And we're going to pray. And you file it away. You know what you say to that person the next time you see them? How's your grandma? Nobody's asked them that question. But you do. And all of a sudden they're like, hmm, that person seems a little bit different. And it opens the doors for conversations, which is what you want, conversations. So think about the mission fields that we go out into. Romans is not just a book written to people back then, but for us today. As we come to the, to the end of it, as we get into this next session, section beginning with verse 14, here's what Paul is doing. Uh, he's, he's recognizing that faith has been passed on. Just like in the Kroger family, family passed on. Faith has been being passed on to this church in Rome. And he's looking at the church almost like a grandpa steps back and looks at his kids and says, hmm, man, I, I think I'm, I've, I mean, I've been talking to you. I've been, I've been encouraging you into the call. I've been preparing you. But you know what? When I look at you, church in Rome, I'm thankful for you because I see a body of people that, that are growing up in the Lord. So kind of keep that in the back, playing in your background as you begin uh, to look at these, these words and how Paul maps this out through, through his words. Let's go to verse 14. He starts off with these words, I, I myself am satisfied about you. Can you hear that? It's like the grandpa looking at us because I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. When Paul uses the term satisfaction, I'm satisfied with you, it, uh, it is a, uh, an interesting verb. Um, um, peso is the verb. Uh, this is in the um, past, past tense, pepesomai. Um, it's an ongoing action. And literally, it would mean like I'm, I'm kind of filled up when I look at you. You know, um, there's a sense in which you, you talk to somebody and you listen to what's going on in their life and you would say, hmm, boy, I'm, I'm, you filled me up. You, you, you filled my cup up. I'm filled up about you that you yourselves are full up, 
filled up with his goodness, that you yourselves are filled up with his goodness. Um, the word here for goodness is really interesting. Uh, the, the Greek here is the word agathosunes. That first part of it, aga, holds the same root as the verb that we use for to love, agape, agathenesis. And so when he says, I'm, I'm filled up by you, because when I see you, I see that you're filled up with agathesis. You're filled up with what? We translated it in English, goodness. But there's more depth to it than that. Here's how I would say it. When I see you, I see a person who's been filled up by God with the capacity to love others that are not like themselves. I teach evangelism. I, I equip people for it. It's something that I love to do. It's something I've done for many, many years. When I gather a group of people together, we can walk through a process that helps people think about, oh, in our world today, it's probably not the best thing in the world just to go smack someone on the head with a Bible. And I actually do need to understand where, where we enter a conversation, how to enter a conversation. I can teach a lot of technique and thoughts about it. Here's what you can't teach. Never teach someone this. To love another person who is not like themselves. You can't teach it. In fact, it wars with what's inside of us. If we're honest, we don't want to do evangelism. We don't. In fact, um, I'll get myself in trouble, but a little conversation this morning, somebody says to me, you know, why, 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 why God did these people have to leave the world? Why did they have to leave the world? I've got a list of people that I can give you. People who I'd like to leave the world, right? <laughs> and uh, I think to myself, I might have a list like that, but then it's not good because what? what it, it, kind of, it kind of belies what I'm, I'm saying is that inside of every one of us is an old man, an old Adam, that looks at another person that's different than me and says, guess what? I don't like you. I don't like what you stand for. I don't like what you look like. I don't like what you, the way you think. I don't like what you talk about. And if we're really honest, within the church, we have these kinds of conversations that really reveal, that unfold the reality that, no, we're, we are human beings. God is the one who puts this into us. This is a passive verb. I don't become a person that loves people that are different like me because I, I work real hard at it. No, I become that person because God begins to pour inside of me his grace and begins to teach me that those who are different than me, that think different than me, that hold different opinions, he loves them. He teaches me that. He puts it inside of me. I don't, I don't, I don't go out and read a book and all of a sudden I love somebody who's different than me. He puts his love inside of me. And now through me, he begins to reach into another person's life. And so um, I find myself quite often you know, stepping back and saying to God, God, um, I, I sense something in me that is otherizing a human being that you made in your image, that you love. God, put that to death. I found myself speaking words that are not good to speak about another person who you made and who you love. Put that to death. 
see up with this right here, agathenesos, with an ability to love others who are different than I. This was important for Rome because the church is going to go out into the agora and they're going to meet, they're going to meet people who are pedophiles. They're going to meet people who openly practice homosexuality. They're going to meet people who, who are, um, sin is normative in their life. And um, everything inside of them is going to say, I don't like you. <laughs> I don't stand for what you stand for. And God is going to say to that person, no, I, I don't either. But guess what? Where will you begin if you don't start by loving this person? Remember Stephen? Anybody remember Stephen in the Bible? Remember he was it's the first you know, martyr in the New Testament? Remember when he was being, being stoned? He stood in front of his, the people who condemned him and he spoke words to them. You know why? Because he wanted to see them come to faith. He didn't stand in front of them and say, how dare you stone me to death? You have no right to stone me to death. You people are pagans and you're all going to go to hell. You know, he did not. He wanted to actually see the people who were stoning him go to heaven. And that is really what Paul is pointing to. Is just like the grandpa that steps back and he says, huh, I'm satisfied. I'm filled up about you because I look at you and I see that you've been filled up with agapethesos, with the ability to love others who are not like yourselves. He says you're also filled up with one other thing. Look at this. You're also filled up with all English word knowledge. With all knowledge. I want to replace that word for you. Greek word here is gnosis. Gnosis. Why do I, why do I highlight that for you? Because in Greek there's two different words. If I said to you, do you know algebra? I would not use the word gnosis. I would use the word oidos. Right? Um, our, our noose is our mind. Oidos is our knowledge. It's factual information. It's the ability to learn something, retain something, transmit something. That's, that's oidos. Gnosis is this kind of knowledge. I know you. It's relational knowledge. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying, I see you as people who are filled up with the ability to love others who are not like you. I see you as a people who've been filled up with what? This relationship. That's why you're able to love the way that you love is because you've been loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in relationship with him. Um, as a both confirmation teacher when we talk about kids and, and adult instructor when we talk about adults, it strikes me that in my lifetime, I've known many people who have oidos, knowledge. In fact, it's not uncommon. Confirmation brings out the oidos in us. Memorize that verse. Memorize that. There's something in me that thinks, okay, it's not bad to memorize scripture. It can be really good. But do you, do you know the one who's given you these words? And I, I found that my very first year in out of seminary and sitting with a group of kids uh, when you get assigned to it uh, you get assigned the group of kids that nobody nobody wants to teach right and uh, I got that group of kids 
And um, the hard thing for me was it was in a church where they were compared to, they literally were compared to the kids who were part of our, our school who memorized very well. And so the, the, the element of confirmation, it wasn't wrong, it's not bad, but the element of confirmation was four times a year we're going to march the kids out on the stage and you're going to say the words. I had, I had one kid in my confirmation class. His mom came to me and she said, my son is going to die. He has a genetic disorder. He's not going to live very long. He cannot memorize. But he knows Jesus. And I sat down with that kid and, and listened to it. Sure enough, I mean, he could, he could get a few words in his head and retain them for a little while, then they went out of his head. They love Jesus. I remember going to mom. I said, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to teach your kid the Ten Commandments. He's going to know the Ten Commandments. I can promise you that. And she said, no, he can't memorize. He'll never know the Ten Commandments. I use mnemonics. He learned the Ten Commandments. First time in his life. He got up in front of his parents and he was able to just say, here's one, two, three, four, five. He knew all ten. When he died, which was about a year after we had moved from um, Wisconsin to Nebraska, I got a handwritten note from that mom and she says, of all my kids achievements in his entire life, maybe the most important was that moment that he stood up and proudly said the Ten Commandments. I fought for those kids. I did. I said, I, I, I think it's great we can memorize scripture, but do we know Jesus? And um, I said, that's the important thing. And so I, to this day, I'll say to kids, it's good for you to memorize scripture. Do, do that. But more important to me is, what, what did you just memorize? What does that say to you? What does it mean to you? How does that play out in your, your life today? That's what Paul is saying here, is he's looking at this group of people. He's saying, I am filled up. You have, you have the ability to love that comes out of this relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. I feel good about you. Not only that, you have one other thing. He says, you also have, have the ability to instruct one another. To instruct one another. Um, just for a, a fleeting moment, let's do this. Turn back over to a very familiar part of Scripture. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning verse 12. I want you just to look at this with me. This is what Paul is being filled up with. He sees these people. You are able to instruct one another. What does he mean by that? I think Paul says it best uh, to young Timothy, beginning verse 12, when he talks about the world that we live in. Remember these words? 2 Timothy 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's me. I desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Okay, Luke, you're going to be persecuted. I believe that. While evil people and imposters go on from bad to worse. I think in the last month, every single person that I've stopped and said, do you think things are going to get better in the U.S.? I haven't had one person stop and say to me, oh yeah, things are going to get a lot better. Every single person I've talked to in the last, Pastor Luke, we're worried. 
about the future. I'm like, mm -hmm. things will go on from bad to worse. They'll be deceiving and then being deceived. And then he says, but as for you, continue, Timothy, in what you've learned. So there's that passing down of the faith. You've learned. You, you firmly believe that it's become embedded in you, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with these sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then this, this, this verse that we learned uh, when we were young, right? All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competently equipped for every good work. Um, if you come back over to Romans, this is what Paul is really saying is, these attributes are what are filling me up. Ability to love other people. Um, the fact that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, not just head knowledge. And that you take the scriptures, and the church did this. The, the church took the scriptures, and they would apply them in one another's lives in a way that uh, really is represented here in, in 2 Timothy. Sometimes I'm applying a word to just lift another person up. Sometimes I'm applying a word that is corrective. That says, wait, are we to do this? This is what God is speaking to us. Sometimes it's, it's reproof. It's like, stop, stop. If you keep going that direction, I want to tell you it's going to destroy you. Uh, when we're in our small groups, our little groups, you know, you know that you're on the right track when another is able to say to somebody, hey, brother, guess what? Where you're heading, that's destructive. It's not good for you. It's not right. It's outside of God's word. You're using the word that way. It's preparatory. Like, I know that when God made you and put you in your home, in your neighborhood, where he put you, he also, Sam, think about this. I want you to think about this. This is, this is all the way back in Acts 17. Sam, I'm talking to you. He not only put you where he put you, but before you were born, in fact, before he even said the words, let there be light, before that, I'm putting Sam in this time, in this place, and I've prepared for him works to accomplish. I've given you a job. We go through life. How do we discover those works? You start in the morning like this. Dear Lord, we're under a calling. You've placed us into a mission field. It's my family my neighborhood, it's my home, it's my school. Help me today, Lord, to pay attention to those divine appointments that you set for me, that I walk by every day, all the time. I miss them, but God, help me see them today. And those good works are not like giant good works. They're one little thing at a time. They're that one person that you stop and you, you speak to because God calls you in that moment, stop, speak to this person, only for you to find out that they're in a state of depression and the words that you bring, bring them hope. Or they're that knock on the door when you have the neighbor open up and you say, I was thinking about you. I know you've been going through a tough time. Those are works that God's prepared you for. They're your occupation, vocation, what God's called me into. They're all of those things. And I, and I think about this, that man, I don't, I know who tells me this. And I went to school. They never told me this. They never said, look, you're under a calling and God made you for these purposes. They, they just told me, hey, 
What do you want to be? What kind of house do you want to be able to buy? What kind of car do you want to be able to buy? No. We live as set-apart people who recognize that God prepares us for these works. And, and this is really what, what Paul is, is, why he's satisfied. He's being filled up as he looks at these people and says, okay, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing people who are growing up in the faith, and this is what fills me up. Now, did Paul have some hard things to say to the church in Rome? Well, we're in chapter 15. So by now, we, we're pretty confidently as a group able to say, oh yeah, this book has not been easy. He said some hard things. And he acknowledges that. Just, just notice these next, these next words. Let's go to verse 15. He says, but, there's the but. You fill me up, but. On some points, I have written to you very boldly. I've spoken to you out of the word, just like Timothy says. With boldness, I've had to address some things. So I made this note to myself. Somebody comes to me and they say, hey, Pastor Luke, I'm in this class at Concordia, and I'm studying theology, and, and would you, could you read my paper for me? I, I wrote this paper. Would you read this paper for me? Here, here's my first question. Do you, what do you want from me? Do you want me to read your paper and tell you how good it is? Or do you want me to read your paper and actually comment on it honestly? What do most people want? <laughs> yeah, you learn the hard way. <laughs> About the first time you're like, um, and that person cries, ah! you're like, okay. Um, what, what happens inside of, inside of uh, the body is we should grow up to the place where we're able to say, your permission to boldness. If my paper is bad, if my direction is bad, my, my mind is bad, if, if your boldness, speak to me about it. Paul is saying that. He says, you know, you fill me up, but you know this. I've had to be bold. I've had to speak to you honestly about some things. Um, and I did so. This next part's kind of hard to follow, so I'm, I'm watching my time here. He says, but I did so by way of reminder because of the grace of given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. I'm going to stop right there and let you just take that in. I've been bold because, let me just say it this way, because God's been reminding me that in grace, he called me to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. In other words, he's answering the question, why have I been bold? Because I, when I sat back, I'm like, that's my job. When God made me, Paul, he said, Paul, I'm setting you aside for this purpose. I'm sending you into the Gentile world to bring a gospel. That's a change, right? I mean, history is changing. Up to this point, Matthew, up to the point of Romans, Matthew 10 has been in effect. In other words, when, when the church has gone out, it's gone out into the synagogues. Go first to the lost house of Israel. That's what they've been doing. Now, all of a sudden, Paul comes along and says, no, remember Peter, he had the vision, take and eat, and now me, Paul, and we are called now to turn that page in history, bring the gospel out into the Gentile work. And so I have to be bold with you, my churches, because guess what? Your tendency is to pull back 
and not go out into the Gentile work. It's time. It's time to move into the Gentile work. So he's, he's really just answering the question, why have I been bold? Well, because I'm reminded by God, that's what I put you here to do, Paul. You are the minister uh, to the Gentiles. Now, notice Paul, Paul does not like periods and sentences, right? And so when you read this sentence, I break it up a little bit for you because if you just try to read it all, you'll miss it. This next part kind of adds to that, what, he, what he's talking about being a minister to the Gentiles. He says, in the priestly service of the gospel of God. In the priestly service of the gospel of God. By the way, um, priestly service is what I want you to center on here. I'm a minister to the Gentiles, and I'm showing you how to do it. And the way you do it is like a priest. That's how you do it, like a priest who is in service to the gospel. And by the way, the word service there is liturgia. We translate that in English into what? Liturgy. So when we're in that sanctuary or the life center, we have a liturgical structure. The liturgist is following God an order, right? He's saying, when I act amongst the Gentiles, I act as a, a servant, a liturgist, to, to the Gentiles, kind of like a priest. So I want you to step back for a minute and answer this question. If I'm a priest and I'm in the temple, what's my job? What does a priest do? How do they serve God? They follow a very strict order, just like the liturgist follows an order. What kind of order do they follow? So if you were a priest, it means you're probably from the family of Levi, right? And I would come up to you and I'd say, all right, priest. Um, priest Brad, here's the deal. You're, you're going to have the assignment of making sure that these candles are always burning. That's your job. Can you handle that? At 3 a.m., if that candle goes out, you know whose door we're knocking on? Yours. You get, get up and you get that candle lit. You got that? Okay, thank you very, very much. Marv, your job is water. We need water. We need a lot of water. Um, it's heavy, but we need you to get that water and we need you to bring it because guess what? It's Ron's job, priest. You're going to be, you got to cut the lamp. Now, I'm going to just warn you right now. It's just messy. I mean, you cut that throat, just spreads all over you, right? Oh, and Dale, your, your, your job is to bring the sacrifices for Ron to cut. Now, I'm just warning you right now, the lamb's not bad, but when you try to carry that bull, <laughs> that's a lot of bull right there, man. You might want to get help. Find another priest and get it up here. And by the way, what did I just tell you, Marv? You got the water? Here's why we need water. You know how many sacrifices we're going to do tomorrow? We're going to do a thousand of them. And guess what? All of them are going to spill a lot of blood. You got the water. This is being a priest. Sometimes we get the idea of priests like they put on a robe. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Monks do that. Priests, they got blood on them, water on them, had to carry bulls, make sure the candles lit at 3 a.m. That's a priest. This is what Paul is saying is, oh, yeah, God's reminding me. This is why I'm being bold to you people is, here's what it means to go and serve the Gentiles. We're kind of like priests who are in service to God, which means what? 3 a.m., heavy carrying serving another human being. That's what God's reminded of, is that that is what he's called us to go do amongst 
the Gentiles. So that, for the purpose of what? Let's, let's, we'll close with this. But so that, for the purpose that, the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Why, why are we doing what we're doing? Because we want the Gentiles to do what? To come to know Jesus Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit who makes them clean. Who puts the blood of Jesus on them. Who brings them into the household of God. So he's really closing this, this letter just by speaking into the church. And he's saying, don't forget my words. I've had some bold words with you. There's some things that need to change. Because here's the end goal and the end about bringing Gentiles. And will the work be hard? Absolutely. It'll be hard work. Let's close there. But as we uh, close out today, <clears throat> remind us that it is hard work. Uh, the mission fields that you've sent us into, you prepared before you spoke the first words in this world into being. We forget that, that we're called out people. Lord, what it means to love another person that's different than ourselves. To use the scriptures in a way that instructs and sometimes re rebukes and reproofs. Lord, uh, help us take this in, not as a people just looking at a book written a long time ago, but as your church today called into a critical mission field in a time where our, our young people in this world particularly are at threat, our history at threat, what we believe at threat. Lord, never has it been more important to be your church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.